It's good singing. You can be seated this morning. You know, church, as we pray, I want to invite you to come forward if you'd like to come and pray with me here at the front. But uh, um, I want to read just a portion this morning of setting up our prayer time together from Psalm 16. This has been a, a uh, passage of Scripture that the Lord has been you know, just kind of speaking to me and moving in my life about as of late. And I just want to share it with you, okay? Um, but, uh, but let this really encourage us because it's encouraged me as of late. Um, these words, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. <clears throat> I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all of my delight. <clears throat> the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Let that word encourage you this morning. Bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Let's pray to the Lord this morning as he encourages us with that word. God, as we come to you, we just want to thank you for um, the gift of singing this morning. We get to sing about your word. We get to sing about your truth. We get to sing songs that, Lord, we've known since we were young. We get to sing new songs that, Lord, remind us of who you are. All of them glorify you. The lyrics glorify you because they are, they are sung from hearts, Lord, of desperation. Lord, they're sung from hearts of faith. And this morning, God, as we sing to you, we thank you for the gift of worship. You made yourself known to us both in creation and in your word. And you revealed to us who you are. You revealed to us your perfection and your holiness and your righteousness. And you, Lord, showed us at the same time, Lord, that we are not righteous and that we are not holy. And that, Lord, as best as we can live our lives, we could never, ever achieve what, God, you've expected us to achieve, and that is perfection and righteousness. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus. It was our problem. The problem in our life was being so cut off from you, God. But you sent your son, Jesus, into the world. And we thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us and rising from the dead. For in that one weekend, you defeated sin and you defeated death. And we rejoice in that this morning. For Lord, Resurrection Sunday is not one Sunday for us, but it is every day of the week for us. And we rejoice in that, and we live in light of the resurrection of you, Jesus. And so we thank you for the hope that we have in you this morning. We thank you for the joy that we have in you today, God. We thank you for the peace that, Lord, you promise us. Lord, we get in the way of that at times. And God, as we come to you this morning, we willfully confess and repent of sin in our lives as individuals. There are things, Lord, that we need to repent of, and we've come to you, Lord, just asking that you would remove these things from us. But Lord, we agree with, with the forgiveness that Lord has already been applied to our life through the, the work of Jesus Christ. 
We claim that forgiveness today. And Lord, we're sorry for our sins. We're sorry for the ways that we have made mistakes in our life and taken our eyes and our minds off of you, made decisions without ever consulting you, God. You deserve more than that. God, we give to you this service. We give to you this time in your word. For, Lord, you desire to speak to us. You desire to teach us. And, Lord, you want us to respond to it. So we're not here just to, just to hear some positive thoughts, God. We're, we're here to, to meet you. We need you. So we just sung. Lord, we need you desperately in our lives. In a world that is confusing and chaotic and seems to continue to slip further and further away from you, Lord. We need you. We need your word in our life, speaking truth into our life. For Lord, the thousands of voices that have come into our life for the past six or seven days have, Lord, overwhelmed us, influences God upon our lives. From the media to social media, or to school, to work, to conversations we've had, or to the news, we're just overwhelmed by the voices and the pieces of information that have come into our ears and into our bodies, into our minds. And yet, Lord, you have a word for us. We pray this morning that you would drown out those voices, including our own, and that, Lord, we would hear your clear voice to us today. So we pray this morning, God, that you would move, Lord, during this time. We thank you for your word. Give us courage to respond to it in the end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. As you can see, we have a stage, a little change up this morning, right? We've got the backdrop here, and we've got uh, our children's musical that is going to be later this afternoon, later this evening, and uh, we want to make sure you, uh, you come to that. That's going to be at 6 o'clock, and so our kids have been practicing so hard every Sunday afternoon. When you're taking your Sunday afternoon naps, guess what our kids have been doing? Jumping around and bouncing all over the stage, as well as practicing uh, lines for a skit that they're going to be doing tonight. They've been working so hard, and so please reward them by coming tonight. Bring someone with you, maybe a neighbor or a friend or another family, uh, just to invite them to, invite them to come with you at 6 o'clock. We're going to have a great time together. Oh, and by the way, they'll be back early this afternoon working. So when you're taking your nap, guess where our kids will be? Back up here, getting ready for us tonight. Uh, but it's going to be a fun night. Hey, listen, uh, later in this, uh, after the service today, those of you who are new to the church or you're wanting to join Central Baptist Church or considering joining, I want to invite you to come. We're going to have a Membership Matters class, a membership class right through those doors across the hallway. I'll mention it later in the service, but I want to kind of give you a heads up on that uh, as we're getting ready for, um, for the morning, okay? I want to encourage you to take a Bible, take a Bible, and turn with me to the book of Joshua. I'm excited to be back in Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 13, and we're going to read chapter 13 through 21 today. You ready for that? Y'all are asleep. Half of y'all are asleep. You didn't hear what I said. I love it. Somebody said go for it out there. I don't think you want me to. No, but that God has a word for us out of these important chapters. And oftentimes when we come to passages like this, we kind of skip over them. I know you skip over them. You kind of skim them. You kind of glaze over them. But God has an incredible word for us this morning, a very important word for us to see this morning out of these few chapters. And we're going to walk through these chapters in just a moment. What would your life look like 
if you could go back and write all of the mistakes that you've made, what would your life look like today if you didn't make those mistakes? That word that you spoke to someone out of anger or jealousy, maybe you didn't speak that word. Or you didn't get into that altercation with that person. Or you didn't enter into that one major decision that affected the rest of your life and you, looking back on it, realized that it was a wrong decision to make. Maybe you acted in the flesh and said something you shouldn't have said, did something you shouldn't have done, went somewhere you shouldn't have gone. You ever think about what your life would look like if those things did not happen? Uh, now, I'm a firm believer that God is a God of grace and mercy, so he uses our brokenness. Listen, he uses our brokenness to shape us into who we are. This is the beauty about God, and you need to understand this. Every time we make a major mistake in our life, every time we sin, oh, that is an ugly, ugly time. It's an ugly season. It's an ugly act. It's an ugly thought. But when I confess and repent and turn back from that, what God does is he redeems. He takes our ugliness and he turns it around for his glory. Somehow, someway he does that. I don't understand how he does it, but he does it. So I'm a firm believer that God takes those things. He takes these mistakes that we make and he remakes us. He changes us. And there's a tremendous amount of grace and mercy that he pours out upon our lives. So he uses all of it. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine if you had not made that decision, what your life would look like? None of us can. But I, I think when we think about the Bible, what the Bible is really good at and what God is really good at in his word for you and I is he gives us examples of mistakes that others make in the Bible to encourage us not to make those same mistakes. He, he, he takes really bad examples and he gives them to us and he shows them to us in order that we might correct our thinking, that we might correct our language or our words, that we might you know, correct our way of living our lives in order to bring him glory and not make the same mistake. I think that's where we are here in this passage, here in chapters 13 through 21. Now remember, there are three big movements in the book of Joshua. If you've never read a Bible before, if you don't know much about the Bible, all I want to say to you this morning is this, that when you read this one book, the book of Joshua, I want to break it down for you very very simply, there are three big sections or movements, if you will, in the book of Joshua. There is the preparation phase where God calls out his leader. That's who? Joshua. Good. He calls out Joshua. He puts his leader aside. He prepares his leader in Joshua chapter 1. And then he takes and he prepares his people. He calls his people up. Remember, this is the second generation. The first generation doesn't get it right. They don't take God up on his offer that if they, will, if they will follow through with obedient faith and trust him, then he goes before them and fights their battles. But they chose not to do that, so he sent them back into the wilderness and he, he killed them all. This is generation two. These are the kids who raise up and they now go into the promised land. They take God up on his offer, but he's got to prepare them for it. So he prepares them on the other side of the Jordan River. Then he splits the Jordan. They come across on the other side of the Jordan River about to enter into Canaan. And it's there that God even prepares them further before they ever get to the battles. So there's the preparation phase. Then there's the conquest phase. That's what the boys really love, right? They love the, 
They, they love the fighting about the book of Joshua. It's all about the fighting. That phase, if you will, that movement, if you will, in the book of Joshua is all about Jericho and Ai and when God's people take God up on his offer to follow through with obedient faith and just trust him, and things go well for them. When God's people don't follow through with what God wants, things go really, really bad for them, like Ai, as we saw. But then there is the third movement, and that's the movement of the allotment of the land. This isn't going to be Joshua's plan. This is going to be God's plan. It's God's plan of how he's going to separate the promised land and give it to the various tribes of Israel that are coming into the promised land. And that's what chapters 13 and chapter through chapter 21 are all about. Now remember, God has given this incredible promise to his people way back in Genesis. He promised them four things, right? He promised them land. He promised Abraham rest. He promised him life. He promised them blessing. And he said, listen, if you will follow me, then I'll rece- you'll receive all of these things in the promised land if you'll follow me. So chapter 12 is a reminder, as we saw a couple weeks there, a few weeks ago, a reminder of all of God's faithfulness up to this point. He's given them the promised land. The conquest phase is over. And now we get to chapter 13 and begins the allotment of the land. This is what, where the land is to be designated for the tribes of Israel. So Joshua, he's been loyal in battle. The Lord's promises have been fulfilled. God has been faithful at every stage. He fought for them, remember? Jericho fought. The walls of Jericho come crashing down. He gives Joshua the plan. He gave Joshua the plan in Jericho. He gives Joshua the plan at Ai. And Joshua follows the plan at Ai, and things go well for them. So God has been so faithful, not just to say, I'm going to fight for you, but I'm going to show you how you can join in the battle and fight for it as well. And so they've received their inheritance. They're here in the promised land and they've received their inheritance. But but as you walk through, listen, as you walk through, beginning in chapter 13, and you were to read, if you were to read ahead and you were to read chapter after chapter, 13, 14, 15, 16, all the way through 21, there, there, there seems to be something that's missing. Like, it's over, right? They got the land. They dominate the land. They've received their inheritance. They've, they've, they, the conquest is over, but, but there seems to be something. When you read these chapters, there's something that's missing. There's something that's not quite right, something that's incomplete. So I want you to see this this morning. We're just going to walk through these chapters. I'm not going to read the chapters, but I am going to point out some things that help us understand what I believe God is saying to us out of this passage. So Joshua, first of all, he allots the land to God's people. Now, there are three keys to understanding what's going on here. If you look at chapter 13, verse 1, look at it with me in your Bibles. Now, Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. Now, there are three things there that are keys to understanding what is What's going on here? God is very clear here. He tells Joshua three three things. He says, you're old. (laughs) God says to Joshua, hey, you're old. And second of all, he says, you're advanced in years. That's another way of saying, you're old. (laughs) So, you know, you're advanced in years. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you look advanced in years today. That's a great compliment, isn't it? 
God says to Joshua, you're old, you're advanced in years, but then he's going to, as you continue to read down to verse 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, what you begin to see is that God says to Joshua, okay, I want you to divide the land up now. Remember, this isn't God's plan, this isn't Joshua's plan, this is God's plan of how he's going to divide the land. And so, for the next few verses, in fact, down in verse 8, all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 33, what he's going to do is he's going to lay out exactly how this first allotment of the land is going to look. And so, think in terms of the Jordan River, and then think east of the Jordan River, that's that would be right for you in your Bibles, okay? If you're looking at a map and you think on the right side of the Jordan River, that's the east side of the Jordan River. And remember, what has happened up until this point is that there are two and a half tribes of the 12 tribes that have already been given their inheritance. Remember what they were? It's Reuben, it's Gad, and it's half the tribe of Manasseh. And so he's going to revisit these, and he's going to talk about these in verses 8 through 33, which leaves then how many tribes left? Nine and a half tribes left that need to receive their land. And so now think in terms of we go from the east side of the Jordan River to the west side of the Jordan River. That's on the left side, if you're looking at a map, of the Jordan River. And now the allotment of the nine and a half tribes are going to receive their land as well. And so this was a, the way in which they were going to do this. And the way Joshua did this is by casting lots. Now, what that all is, and I'm not going to get into the details of that, but, but this was a way in ancient days, in ancient times, that they would trust God, that however the lots fell, that was the will of God, and that's how the land was going to be allotted to the people or to the tribes. And so that's what they did. They began to do this. And so Judah, in chapter 15, you can skip ahead and look at chapter 15, Judah receives this lion's share of land on the southern part of Canaan. Remember now, that's going to become the southern kingdom, right? There's the northern and the southern kingdom further ahead in Israel's history. Israel's going to split apart into the northern and in the south, and Judah's in the south. Judah right here receives their inheritance. It's there in chapter 15, and then chapter 16 and 17 is all about Joseph and the other half of, of Manasseh. And Ephraim, is going, they are going to receive their inheritance all by casting lots. And this is what God is doing. This is how Joshua is doing this all by way of what God is presenting to them. Then we get to chapter 18. You get to chapter 18, and then there is this kind of meeting, if you will, at a place called Shiloh. It's called the Tent of Meeting. And the entire nation comes together. The entire congregation comes together. And Joshua challenges the people of God who were left. Now we are down to seven tribes. And these seven tribes, Joshua commands them, he, he, he challenges them to finish the work, finish the job. And he gives them their inheritance as well. He says to finish the job and possess the land. Then he casts lots. And however the lots fell, that's where and how the allotment of the land was given to the rest of the seven tribes. And then when you get to the very end of chapter 19, it tells us there that so they finished dividing the land. The job is finished. At the end of all of these chapters, we see that something has been given to all of these tribes. They have all of their inheritance, and yet there is something that is missing. Although the land is allotted to the tribes, there was a problem. The problem is this, that people did not finish the work. 
The people didn't finish what they were commanded to do, what they were told to do. And from the very beginning, it's clear that there's something that's wrong here. They were not just inheriting the land, they needed to possess the land. There's a difference in that. There's a difference in you having a piece of land that you own, and then you actually having control over all of that land. And you could own 40 acres, and maybe the back five acres, you've got squatters, and you've got three or four families that decided they're just going to take over and live on that land. You may own the land, but you don't possess the land. There's a big difference. And this is what's going on here in Canaan. There's something that is amiss. There are still city-states. There are city still nations that exist, people that are lingering in the promised land. And they were to, here in Shiloh, back in Shiloh in chapter 18, they were commanded by and challenged by Joshua, finish the work, finish the work that God wants you to do. But they fail to finish the job. I want to show you, I want you to look back at chapter 13. You can look at chapter 13, verse 13. And look at what it says. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but Geshur and Maacath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Look at chapter 15, verse 43. The end of this, or 63, says, But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Look at chapter 16, verse 10. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. Look at chapter 17. Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When you put all of these verses together, through all of these kind of really boring chapters to read, what you begin to see is a theme. And what you begin to see is that the Spirit of God wants you and I to see something. He wants us to pull these verses out and to understand and see what God's people are doing here. He's given them the land. He's given them all of this work. He's done all the work for them. He's brought about victory after victory after victory, and he's commanded them, finish the work, and yet what? they don't do it. Instead, they inherit the land, but they don't possess the land. And now that they possess the land, they take the people, the Canaanites that are still lingering and holding on these places of territory here in God's promised land to his people. And they take these people and they make them slaves, they make them servants, they make them workers, they make them work for them. Instead of taking them, kicking them out of the promised land. Why is this such a big problem? The truth is, listen, church, that when we, you and I, when we deviate from God's plan in our lives, what we begin to do is we follow the desires of our own hearts and we follow the desires of our own commands. We move away from his commands and what happens in our lives is that becomes a dangerous place for us. It becomes dangerous territory, dangerous ground, and what we begin to do is spiritually drift We spiritually drift into places we shouldn't go. Small, subtle mistakes, small, subtle decisions that we make that deviate from what God says in his word to do. And when we do these things, it leads us to a place of spiritual drift where we wake up 
one day and we don't look like what God wants us to look like. We've morphed into something that is not how God designed and how God created and how God commanded us to be, but we've now morphed into something that is a hybrid. We look like the world and we look like what God wants. And when you're reading these stories and when you're reading these chapters and you walk through these and you begin to put the dots and you connect the dots together and you see this theme that they're not finishing the work, then you know that there has to be something far into the future that's going to go bad for the Israelites. Like generation one got it wrong, generation two has gotten it right, but they've made mistakes along the way. Now that they've possessed the land, now that they've inherited the land, they don't fully possess all of it and they won't finish the job. And so they've gotten kind of lazy and they've kind of gotten to a place where, hey, how exciting is this? Let's start building our house instead of finishing the work. You know and you can project out that maybe God's, something bad is going to happen here. And so because they don't finish the work and they inherit the land, but they don't possess it. I think about what happens in the future because Joshua, the book of Joshua, is going to end and the book of Judges is going to begin. And you know what the book of Judges is all about? The book of Judges is all about generation three. You see, in generation three, the people of God, the same people of God, but a new generation, it's going to take over. Because they haven't kicked out the Canaanites, because they haven't kicked out and and kicked out the people that still linger in the land, well, guess what's going to happen? They're going to start following the gods of the Canaanites, which is the reason why God said to kick them out of the land to begin with. They were pagan people. They had no interest in following God. God was preserving his people. God was, was exclusively there to be worshiped by them. And any influences in their lives was going to push them and cause them to drift away from God. And so they needed to do the hard work on the front end and move these people out, kick these people out in order to preserve and receive everything that God had given to them. But they don't. And because they don't, the book of Joshua, if you look over in Joshua, you don't have to, we're not going to read it, but in Joshua at the end of verse 27 all the way to the end, it tells us about the third generation and, and how they begin to drift away from God. Joshua himself is old and he dies and a new generation of leadership rises up and they're flowing in from chapter one into chapter two. The Lord says, what have you done to his people? Because they're both trying to follow God at times, and yet they're still tr- and now they're, they're drifting into following. They're intermarrying with people who are, not, who are not followers of God, and they're following other little gods. And so inevitably what happens as time moves on, they get further and further and further away from God. They get themselves in trouble. And people come in and raid into the promised land and they, they take God's people into, into places where they shouldn't be and they're suffering and they're struggling and, and then all this happens for year after year after year and then God raises up a judge, someone to deliver them. And then they'll have peace for a season and then they spiritually drift away from the Lord again and then they find themselves in trouble again crying out to God and then God raises up for them a judge, a rescue or someone to help them. And this is what the book of Judges is all about. Listen, when you don't finish the work of God, when you don't finish God's work, you don't enjoy the riches of God. When you don't 
follow through with what God says to do in our lives, when, when we don't follow through with the things that God tells us to do and shares with us in our life, then, then we don't enjoy God's riches, the blessings. Remember, God had given Abraham this blessing, and yet here it is. God says, I've given you everything. I've fought your battles. I've gone before you. I've given you instruction. I've given you godly leadership. I've given you all of these things if you'll just finish the work, and they don't. And as a result of that, they don't enjoy the blessings of God. When we follow through with disobedient living or we follow through with disbelief, that is what keeps you from enjoying the life that God has made possible. When I think about a passage like this in these chapters. What is God saying to us? Well, he's saying, listen, if you don't finish the work, then you'll not enjoy my blessings. If you follow me, things will go well for you. If you choose not to follow me, if you choose not to follow the things that I tell you in my word, then things will go bad for you. There will always be struggle. Even for those of us who follow Jesus Christ with our Savior, as, as our Savior and your Lord, we go through seasons of struggle. But it's Psalm 16, the Lord is by our side, therefore I will not be moved. Right, I understand that. God doesn't promise, you know, that life is going to be all great we're going to have smiles on our faces constantly through the rest of our lives. That's not how it works. God doesn't promise me six figures in my life or seven figures in my life of, of income. He, he doesn't promise me that there will be no hardships. In fact, he says there will be hardships. But the Lord never abandons his people. That's the difference, and that's the distinction. But I think when I come to a passage like this, I've got to ask myself this question, and maybe you've asked yourself this question. Why would God give his people this land and then tell them to fight for it? You ever think about that? Why doesn't God just walk up to you and say, here, bam, there's a great life, automatic. Why, didn't God, why did God give them this promised land and then say, okay, here it is, now go fight for it? Why would he tell them to fight for it? For the same reason God looks at you and I and says, here are the blessings that I've given you in Jesus Christ. Now, go pursue righteousness, holy living. Go pursue the things I've called you to pursue. Because when you and I do that, when we receive these blessings from God, what God says, okay, now pursue it. Now take it. Now go seize the things I've given you, the blessings that God has given you. I now go pursue it. I now go seize it. I now go pursue the things that God wants me to take. And this is why I say what I say from time to time. God hasn't saved you from something. He saved you to something else. He doesn't save you out of darkness and save you out of the bondage of sin. He doesn't save me out of the bondage of sin in order for me to just sit back in my lazy boy and go, Man, God's good. What God does is he saves me and he puts me into something better, puts me into something more. And he says, okay, go pursue that. Go fight for that. Go seize that. Go after that. That's what God does. That's the beauty of the work of God. God's blessings are never just to be received. God has entrusted to you. He has given you stewardship of all of his blessings in order then to call us to a season, to a life of pursuing him, pursuing the things he wants us to pursue. It's like prayer. Why does prayer exist? We enter into this relationship with God, this personal communion, uh, conversation with God. 
He says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. He says, if you pray my will into reality, it comes true. Well, why doesn't God just do it? Because he wants you and I to join him in pursuing the things that he wants. He wants to be wanted. He wants to be pursued. He wants his will to be pursued and then taken action upon. This is what God does in our life. He gives us his incredible grace and this mercy and then tells us to move towards those things. Let me show you this in the New Testament. Several places in the New Testament. You can write these down if you would like. But listen, Jesus Christ has secured, here's here's the first thing I want you to remember. Jesus Christ has secured your holiness and peace. But now you're called to strive for holiness and peace. He gives you holiness. In other words, here's the deal. If you've never been a Christian, right, and you've if you've never followed Jesus Christ, if you're saving your Lord, the Bible says your sin is still attached to you. It's still what covers you. You're known not as a good man, not as a good woman, not as a good dad or a good mom. You know, sin has covered your life. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross and from the grave hasn't been applied to you yet because you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. But when you do give your life to Jesus Christ, and I pray and I hope you'll do that today, at the end of our service, That when you do that, what God says to you is he doesn't just make you pure and clean and holy and you walk out of here as someone who's never done anything wrong. No, he says, in spite of all you've done, in spite of all that you've done wrong, said, then wherever you've you've been, whatever you've done in your life, he's now said this, I declare you righteous. That doesn't make sense to me because it doesn't make sense to the human mind. It doesn't make sense to the world. He declares you holy and then he gives you incredible peace in your heart. That's really good, isn't it? I mean, that's really good. But then he comes and he says, okay, I want you to strive for holiness in your life. I want you to pursue peace in your life. Look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, it's going to say this to us. If we have it up on the screens, there it is. For the moment, all all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Look at verse 12. Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He keeps going. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Look at verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Now, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. God's declared us holy. He's declared us righteous. He's given us peace. Now he says, strive for holiness and peace. I'll tell you what else God's given you in me. He's given us incredible blessings and the blessings and the power to know him and to believe in him. To know him and to believe in him. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 here on the screens having the eye of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, 
according to the working of his great might. God's given us this incredible blessing of power to know and to believe. Listen to me this morning. If you choose not to make decisions in your family, make decisions in your workplace, make decisions in your individual life based on all that God's given you to know about him and about his word and about what he wants for you in your life, then you're not pursuing it. You're not pursuing a life that God wants for you to live and how he wants you to live. You're not possessing it. Those words exist You've embraced them, but here's the difference. You ready? They haven't embraced you. Everything God's given to you in your laps, everything God's given you on your phones, if some of you are looking at your Bibles on your phone, everything that God has revealed to us and spoken to us in our life is true, it's powerful, it's life-changing. You have it, but it doesn't have you. If you don't embrace it, if you don't take it and put it to practice at school, if you don't take it and put it in practice at work, if you don't take it and put it to practice in your marriage, in your family, in your relationship with your coworkers or your employees, if you don't take it and put it to practice in, in our society and how we look at the complex and crazy culture that we live in, if you don't take it and put it to practice and it not shape your affections of your heart and your reactions to certain things in, the, in life, if it doesn't shape or if it doesn't, is not put to practice and how you think, live your life, speak, all of those kinds of things, then it does not have you. And there's a major difference. God's given you blessings. He's provided all of these things for you. We have to take and seize it. Here's another thing. Christ has given you a pathway to growth. He has blessed you with an eye with a pathway in order to know him, to grow up in my relationship with him. I love what Philippians 1 tells me. Philippians 1 verse 9 says, and it is my prayer. Now, here, here's the deal. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He gives the church in Philippi, the people like us, like we would be the church in Livingston called Central. That's us. But, but he, gave, he wrote to the church in Philippi, and he, these people he dearly loved. They struggled with, uh, with, um, with unity. They struggled with fighting and infighting, all kinds of different things. But the church in Philippi, he loved them. He gave them a glimpse into his prayer life. And I love what he says here. In Philippians 1 verse 9, it says, And it is my prayer, now watch the progression, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Keep going. And so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's not done filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Do you see the progression there? He, he wanted them to, from start to finish to continue to progress. They received the knowledge. They received the truth. Now, now they were going to affirm and use that knowledge to transform their lives that would inevitably lead to them having this life that brought glory to God by way of their decisions, by way of how they spoke and lived their life. Again, it's there, but if I don't choose to embrace it, if I don't choose to get into that path of growth and pursue it and grow towards it, I may know a lot about God or I may know a little about God, but it won't have any impact upon me. It will not cause me to grow into maturity. I love Bible study classes. I teach a group of men on Wednesday nights right now. We're learning about prayer. I hope, guys, you'll jump into that. We're only in week two coming up this Wednesday night, which is a six-week study. 
But I love Bible studies. And ladies, I know many of you are in Bible studies. I love our Bible studies and our adult classes on Sunday mornings and, and our students and our children all across our campus. But it's not information. God hasn't given you those opportunities for Bible facts. His word is to transform your life. His word is to transform me. It's to transform you. It's to cause me to grow, to take a step and another step and another step towards growing in maturity. And that takes intentionality. Going back to it, God's given you everything. He's blessed you by way of Jesus Christ on the, from the grave and from the, uh, from the cross and from the grave. For what? To sit back with my iced tea? No. To get into that lane, to grow and to pursue and to do hard things and to pursue the things God wants us to pursue. Finally, listen, Christ has given you and I the ultimate goal, the ultimate prize. The ultimate goal and the ultimate prize that he has called us to. Because in the Philippians chapter 3, Paul then comes back to the church in Philippi. He says this, not that I have already obtained this, that's the resurrection from the dead, or, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have been made it my own. But one thing I do, you ready? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus. You see the progression? God, hold, God declares you and I holy. He gives me peace. I step from that life into this life, and I say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with my, as my Savior and my Lord. He declares me holy, and he declares me righteous, and he says, okay, I'm giving you peace. Now pursue holiness and pursue peace. Then he gives me his word, and he helps me to understand this, who he is, and he pours his word into my life. And his word is not just to be there that I read it and I learn all kinds of Bible facts, but I embrace it with my life, and I make the decisions in my life based on what God says. I look at life through the lens of Scripture. I look at life, and I make decisions, and I think about life by way of what the word of God says. Then he puts me into this path of growth. He's blessed me because of the work of the cross and from the grave to this place where now I have this pathway of growth that he says, okay, you can grow spiritually mature. You can look at your life a year from now and five years from now and look back on your life and see the spiritual growth in your life. Then he gives you a prize. He gives you a goal. But you got to understand where the Apostle Paul was, and this is what God says to you and I. He gives us all of these blessings to seize them, to fight for them, to pursue them. And if I do that in my life, then God, what God does is he changes me, he transforms me before, my, before other people's very eyes, before my very eyes, and God begins to transform me and change me into the man, the woman, the teenager God wants me to become. And so the Lord has given us all things. He's provided all of these things. He's made himself available to us at the cost of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Seven days ago, we were in this room celebrating at the top of our lungs Resurrection Sunday. But why? In order that he would put me into this life of pursuing him and glorifying him. And I do that by way of stepping into spaces sometimes that are uncomfortable for me. 
I take chances. I step into different places, into different ministries. I go on mission trips. I do things that are uncomfortable for me. Why? Because I want to pursue what God wants. What God wants is for me to know him first and foremost. And then for me to engage in his mission to make disciples of all nations, right? But I want to learn and I want to know him. And so do whatever I need to do. Some of you need to change. Some of you need to embrace. Some of you need to uh, edit your life. Someone, some of you need to pursue new things in your life. But I'll encourage you with three words. Finish the work. God's done so much. He's brought us so far. He's brought you so far. Now finish the work that he has for you. The Israelites didn't finish the work. We get to look back on their lives. We get to look back on where the Israelites were because they didn't make obeying God a priority in their lives once they pursued and had conquered the land. It led them to a place where as a nation, they split apart into the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom continued to further and further go away from God to a place where this civilization, this empire called the Assyrians came from the north and God took all of those tribes out of that land and he put his people back into slavery in Judah in the south. Eventually, God had had enough of his people in the south. They were following God and they were following all kinds of other gods. That he took the Babylonians and he sent them in there and he took away everything that they had been given. All of their rest, all of their blessings, all of their uh, land, all of their inheritance and he put his people into slavery again until faithful people rose up like the Nehemiahs and the Ezras because God is committed to his promises. Remember, he doesn't go away from his promises and then he returned his people to his promised land again. But let's not make those mistakes. No, no, God's given you and I his incredible blessing. He's given us Jesus. And by way of Jesus, God has promised so much to us in our life. He's given us so much in our life. Now let's fight for it. Let's pursue him. Let's seize the things that he's given to us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And as our worship team comes up, they're going to lead us in a song and listen. All God wants for you this morning is just your yes. He looks at our lives and he sees us where we are. He knows where we are. He knows where we are spiritually, whether we're new believers or whether we're seasoned believers, wherever God has, wherever you are right now in your relationship with God, God has you right where he wants you. But all he wants from you is a commitment to pursue him, to finish the work. Let's finish the work as individuals. Finish the work. Let's finish the work as a church. Let's engage with what he wants, not what we want, but on what he wants. And when his people are at that place, he can work with it. We've seen it in Joshua. We see it in us. If you're a Christian this morning, maybe that's where God has you. You just need to commit yourself to his work. God, I want to 
grow. I want to become the man, the woman. We want to become the married couple. We want to become the family you've called us to be. And maybe that's where God wants you. You spend some time talking to the Lord. Listen, as they're talking to the Lord, let me talk to those of you in the room that are not followers of Jesus. What God wants from you is to step across that line and to give your life to him, to Jesus Christ. His work on the cross, his work from the grave hasn't diminished seven days later. It's just as powerful today as it was yesterday. It's just as powerful as it was seven days ago in this room. God wants your heart and he knows where you are. And so if you're at a place in your life where you know that you're a sinner, you understand that you're broken and you're set apart from God, you're, you're cut off from God rather, and you're willing to say, I turn away from my sin and I'm going to follow Jesus. And I want to believe in him as my Savior and your Lord. If you're at that place in your life, then we're going to stand and sing a song together. This whole, these stairs are open for anyone who wants to come and pray. But for those of you who want to give your life to Christ, I want you to come down and just tell me. And I'll be here at the front while we sing as we, uh, as we have the courage to say yes to him. I'm going to pray. And then our worship team is going to lead us in a song. God, we thank you this morning for your word and for how you guide us and direct us, how you instruct us. We give this time to you and pray that, Lord, you would give us the courage to say yes to you as we always pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's sing. Jesus is calling. 